I'm Carrie Brett, and this is Shot at Love. Today we have the most special guest. This woman is my hero, and her books changed my life. Her name is Natalie Liu. She's a podcaster, speaker, artist, and writer of well-known books such as Mr. Unavailable and The Fallback Girl, a book that means so much to me, I can basically recite it. Like so many women, Natalie had a litany of problems that included bad boundaries, toxic relationships, and a penchant for emotionally unavailable men, until everything changed in 2005 when a crippling disease and the breakup from a barely there guy triggered an awakening, igniting the desire to fight back. She wrote down her experiences and documented her journey, which led to self-publishing, best-selling books, and creating The Baggage Reclaim, which includes online courses, over 1,600 blog entries, and a podcast that's helped millions of women become reclaimers in over 140 countries. Through it all, her mission remains the same. If she can help even one person avoid what she went through and support others who have struggled with abandonment, rejection, people-pleasing, or feeling not good enough, she's making the world a better place. When we come back, Natalie will share why we are programmed to settle for less and how to reclaim ourselves so that we can live and love with self-esteem and freedom from the past. You won't want to miss it, so stay tuned. Natalie Liu is a thought leader on relationships. Her no-nonsense, compassionate, and humorous take has garnered a following in over 140 countries, and she's been featured in the New York Times, NPR, and the BBC, to name a few. She's the author of Mr. Unavailable and The Fallback Girl, The No Contact Rule, The Dreamer and Fantasy Relationship, and Love, Care, Trust, and Respect which has sold 140,000 copies. Her podcast, The Baggage Reclaim Sessions, has over 2 million downloads. Harper Horizon will publish her next book, The Joy of Saying No, in October of 2022. Aside from her self-help blog, she's also the founder of the kids' lifestyle blog, Bambino Goodies. Natalie's based in Southeast London with her husband, two daughters, and crazy cockapoo. She's left advertising to become a full-time blogger for the past 13 and a half years. She's a former relationship columnist for The Moment magazine and speaks worldwide at various conferences. Her current work centers around people-pleasing, boundaries, mindfulness, and creativity. This is such an epic moment for me. I feel like I've come such a long way thanks to this brilliant author. This episode will be so amazing for women who feel like they've lost their power, are struggling in the world of casual relationships or painful experiences. So without further ado, welcome to Shot at Love, Natalie Liu. Oh, hello. Thank you for having me. Hi, Natalie. <laughs> you know who I love more than you, the writer, is Natalie, the 90s raver. I just like want to <laughs> <laughs> bust out some Millie Vanilli to uh, get this podcast started. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love you, Carrie, already. <laughs> You are so funny. I love watching you dance. I mean, I think you are hysterical. You are probably one of the funniest writers I've ever... It's a talent to write funny. Comedians can't do it. And you can see it in their books and their memoirs and everything. And it's such a talent. But your book, it's so absurd what these guys put you through that you had to write it in such a funny way. And 
I just love your references, and I would just like laugh out loud. I wish you could like somehow just take this act on the road because it, <laughs> it's not only beautifully written and so important for people who are struggling, but the, the humor makes it really, you know, you like hold on to that writing. And I've been trying to learn to write, but I just, I just think this was channeled. Like God chose you. And this was your path, and you had the perfect skill set to put it all together. But you're most known for Mr. Unavailable and the Fallback Girl, which is, you know, the holy grail to me, and where it all began. <laughs> and in my research of you, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if anyone has been a former Fallback Girl that's interviewed you. Wow. Um, you know, it's funny. I've I've had interviews with different people who were like, yeah, I've read that book and, you know, you, you know, sort of, I, I you say my life or you, you know, I got, sort of got my life to sort of together after you. But funny enough, whenever I've been sort of interviewed um, by those people, it's often we're talking about sort of being further up the road. So we'll talk about that a bit. And then it will be like about people pleasing or about boundaries or just another phase. And um, it, but it's interesting. I come across so many people, funny enough, who are like, oh, sometimes they whisper to me, like, I read your book that changed my life. And then sometimes it's like, oh my God, that, that thing that changed my life. And um, but what you say about it being channeled is is so very true in the sense that it felt like when I first wrote this book, it was just like, it was because so many people were saying to me, I would love it if you could take these blog posts and put it like into sort of a book format. And I'd only just heard of eBooks for the first time. And I wrote a mini version of it and I couldn't keep up with the amount of people who were reading my stuff. And I was like, okay, I can like write a whole book, you know, on this. And I rewrote sort of an original version of it. And it was like, birthing this book and then it's funny because I hear from people pretty much every day like through dms or email or whatever and they will quote something back to me or they'll reference something I'm like man I forgot about because it. it's obviously it's like 10 years since I wrote like this version of the book but also because it was so channeled I forget what I wrote so sometimes I don't recognize <laughs> some stuff that I've actually Said. So it's always amazing to talk to someone like you who, like, probably in some respects knows the book better than I do. Right, right. Well, I tried doing a British accent and I was like, this just sounds <laughs> like a Boston accent. I wanted to read the intro because to listen to the book, so the audio, you didn't read. No. Which I almost wish you did, but I listened to your podcast. So I can imagine you reading it when I listen to it. And so to go back many, many years later to listen to it again, it was like a different experience in a sense. But, mm. and I want, and this is the only time I'm going to talk about my personal story because I really want this episode to be for those fallback girls that are out there and they just can't see the forest through the trees. But this is why I know that this was meant to be. This book was sent to me by God, literally. And I, I just want to say this. So basically, it was like a really bad day, and I was cleaning my house, 
and I was suffering through the toxic highs and lows. And how I made myself get out of my own head was to listen to like Tony Robbins or Wayne Dyer or just brainwash myself and drowned out that suffering and that replaying on repeat, why did Mr. Unavailable not love me? What did I do wrong this time? And so to take my mind off of that constant self-torture, I dragged my sorry, sad ass over to my computer and Audible was like, Carrie, based on your, <laughs> the fact that you just read relationship books, we think you'll love Mr. Unavailable and the Fallback Girl. And you're, that book's long. There's a lot of chapters, which I'm like, this is so chilled. <laughs> and I thought to myself, okay, if I'm going to invest eight hours, I want to know who this person is. I don't know why. I've never actually looked up an author before. And I found that you were living in London, and I have family, my aunt and uncle, and my first cousins, and my grandmother loved to go to England. That was like, she thought she was the queen or something and just loved it so much. <laughs> and uh, she's passed, and I was like, this is Nana. Nana's like, enough. This is what you need. And wow. so I can't believe it. So because of the London, the UK connection, I was like, mm, okay, I'm going to buy this book. And it was the best purchase I've ever made in my life. How's that wow. for a five-star review? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Something clicked. I could not have read the no contact rule until I read this book. And when I help people who are really suffering, I, I make them read this book and I refuse to help them until they read this book because it's that powerful. It's, it's just, it's brilliant. Wow. I, I really think it should be a movie. Wow. I think people need this so badly. And when I was researching you, you were really the first person on this show that's gone through the same amount of stuff that I've gone through with these fools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a, it was funny. That, well, you know, because obviously you, you, you've read the book and you know sort of the origin story of it, but the book was inspired by my own experiences as well as what I had observed in so many other women and what I have a knack for and that's something I understand about myself now is I am really good at reading relationships I'm really good at reading relationship patterns the dynamics that are going on underneath and translating a lot of the stuff that we think is in our imagination that we're like is there something wrong with me? Is there something I said? Is there something I did? Is it because I'm crazy? And it's like, no, they're unavailable. And it was looking at, it was noticing the these patterns. And I have been out with mm -hmm. <laughs> pretty much every variation of my parents <laughs> in, in these various different relationships that I'd have. I've only had one good, loving, healthy relationship. And, you know, something I say to people, it only takes one <laughs> really in the end. And I mean, look, if if people have more, the one, well, great for them. But I, I emphasize this, I think, because it is easy to go through these relationships and be like, oh my God, I've had these relationships. This is like having, you know, a bad relationship resume and what chance do I have? But actually it only takes one relationship in the end and all of those experiences. One led me to eventually, yes, meeting my partner, but also 
ended up becoming this, becoming Mr. Unavailable and a fallback girl and, and everything else that I've done. And and it's funny, it's the, the this is the first book I wrote and it is the gift that keeps giving. You know, I hear, as I said, I hear from people all the time about it and it's easy to forget the first book you wrote, but it has such a significance for so many people out there. And it's the kind of book that gets passed around um, people and, and people pass as whisper in the air. Have you heard about this book? I've been on the tube in in London and had women mouth to me, Mr. Unavailable and the fallback girl. Like, it's like, it's you. I know it's you, like, recognizing me, like, on the tube. Wow. Um, and uh, I, I think really the book speaks to the, really the collective pain of women and the relationship experiences that we go through. And the funny thing is, is that obviously when I wrote this book, I mean, it is called Mr. Unavailable and the Fallback Girl, so it is about the relationships between men and women, what we would call heteronormative relationships now. However, that book has been read by men and women in same-sex relationships who have been through exactly the same thing. In fact, they say, uh, I remember being in New York once and somebody coming up to me and saying, do you realize you've got a massive gay following here in New York? (laughs) So I was like, oh. (laughs) But uh, I I felt it was actually particularly important to write it for women because of the way that we're socialized and conditioned that we're the ones who are most likely to really get the short end of the stick when it comes to toxic relationships, unhealthy relationships, simply because of how we've been socialized and conditioned. Because we've actually been taught that men are the center of the universe and relationships are the most important thing on earth. And that if you don't have a relationship and if you don't get the guy or the woman, and if you don't convince them, then there's something wrong with you. Right. Right. I love in your book when you say, this isn't the last chance saloon. Like, it's not too late for you. I love that. Yeah. Absolutely. Because we're conditioned that if you're over the age of 16, your fertility is on the way out. And that once you get over the age of 30, you're now ticking towards 40. And at once you're over 40, you're basically dead. So, of course, when we, the society collectively drums this into women, you know, we're constantly sold to about aging and how we look and how we dress and the importance of relationships and kids. Like everybody's got this idea of what a woman is supposed to be. and then, of course, we have this idea that when this relationship doesn't work out, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is my last chance to learn. There's no more relationships for me. Because life has told us that. Society has told us when you get to a certain age, if your relationship ends, there's no more, there's no more relationships left for you. Right. Right. But men have their pick. <laughs> right. And then we're sitting around being like, wow, look at this limited contribution from this limited man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Let's and, and put him on a pedestal for being so limited. And, and that's what I just love about your book, that you're just like, you call it out. And, and how powerful that you could take a bad date and parlay it into this writing career and this unbelievable podcast journey and your life purpose. I mean, did you ever think back in 2004, this is where you'd end up? It's incredible. Do you know what? Not at all. Because I remember like feeling that call to write. Like I'd, I'd read an article 
I think it was in the April of 2004 about blogging. It was from the Observer newspaper here in London. And I'd cut the page out. I've got it somewhere still. And I put it aside, forgot all about it literally until the early hours of that morning after I'd been on that bad date. And next thing you know, I had my personal blog. And just over a year later, I had baggage reclaim. And when I started writing, I think it was that I had just had this this sort of uh, contradiction. I said I wanted to be with a nice guy, but whenever I was around somebody who was supposedly nice, I wasn't interested. Mm-hmm. And the people who I tended to be interested in were still tied to the umbilical cord, you know, swinging off their mother's apron strings and telling me, oh my God, you're so amazing, you're so wonderful. Oh wait, I just remembered, I don't want a relationship. And I was exhausted by all of that. And so my then personal blog that's long gone was called tired of men and other things that drive a 20 something around a twist and it was really making sense of these contradictions in me and it it was I felt yeah in a weird way I wouldn't have said it at the time but I just felt compelled to do it and pretty much immediately because you could do that back in the day I started this blog and I immediately had readers and It was really then about a year later, just before I started Baggage Reclaim, where when I spoke out loud about breaking up with that barely there, you know, from that barely there relationship with the guy of five months who basically sparked my epiphany, I thought I was a weirdo. Like, I thought it was it was me, that there was something wrong with me. Like, there was a sign on my forehead that was saying, all the waifs and strays of the dating world, please come and find me. And so when I'm speaking out loud about my realizations that I seem to always be involved with emotionally unavailable men, typically with some form of mother issues, and that actually they're all variations of my parents. I genuinely thought I was weird. And then when I woke up to all of these messages, like uh, back, back then, there's no social media, so it's like comments and emails. It was all people going, you're talking about me. You're describing me. And I'm sitting there going, hmm, this is interesting because I've spent my whole life thinking I'm worthless and good for nothing and that there's something wrong with me that makes me unlovable. But all of these people out there are saying that they're me. And that sparked this curiosity. And I was going through such upheaval at the time because my health, you know, was really quite at rock bottom there. I had to make some big changes. And Starting to write Baggage Reclaim was really about me taking what I'd realized in an incredibly short period of time, like I'm talking like a few weeks to a month, and speaking out loud. And it was really speaking up for all of these women who had abandonment issues, who felt that they were unlovable, who felt that they were unworthy, who had been told by magazines oh, you know, the cosmopolitans and all that, oh, here's 50 ways to please your man. It was always about, oh, you're having problems in your relationship, get better lingerie, you know, cook them a nice meal, give them some compliments and all these tips. And it was never really addressing, well, first of all, what is all of these BS tips that were given around to people? But also, this doesn't explain why I'm constantly in unfulfilling relationships. It doesn't explain why I'm always with men who seem to really, really want to be with me initially. And then next thing you know, I am like awake at night. I'm gnawing at my fingernails. I'm anxious. I'm wondering if and when I'm going to hear from them. I'm wondering what I did wrong. I'm wondering why they disappeared. And so many 
of us were struggling with that. And then often being reduced to behaving in ways that were just not reflective of who we are in the main. Because some of these relationships make you feel like a crazy person. And sometimes you don't just feel like a crazy person, but you start behaving as if you are crazy. And then you're like, oh my God, I'm so pathetic and blah, 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 blah. But actually you're not. It's not that you're crazy. The relationship is driving you crazy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think about this now. This is really interesting to me because your book, Mr. Unavailable and the Fallback Girl, was survival. It literally Mm -hmm. was survival for me. That was it. Because Mm -hmm. if I put down listening to the book, then I would go backwards. You know, it's like steps forward, steps backwards. But there wasn't any information. No one was talking about these things. Mm -hmm. And I was on Tinder, one of the first early users of a dating app, everybody thought I was crazy, but I didn't want to be alone. And I was a single mom. And what was I supposed to do? So when I first started this idea for this podcast, Mm -hmm. I I was approached by a Hollywood producer. And I said, there is a proof of concept here. Like if I needed this material, there's other people out there. And I said, there's this woman, Natalie Lou. She millions of people listen to her. (laughs) And, And I remember him being like, okay. I'm like, so she's doing it. What she has to say is a little bit different than what I have to say, but we still have information that people need. And my information comes from life experience. And he was like, well, if she's helping millions of people, you won't be able to get her on your show. And I was like, I think I can because she's a fallback girl. She's just like me, you know, and there's a million people out there like us. And here you are. So it's like Christmas morning. So <laughs> thank you, Natalie. <laughs> but, Did um, you know, also go on. No, no, no. So it is true. People need to hear this. And maybe they haven't found your book, but they'll hear this episode. But the main thing is they get the help that they need. And they, the torture ends because it's a, it's a, a rough road. It really is. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that that book and also just what I've really done throughout my work is it's been really important to me to name things that were not named. Like future faking is something that came from, uh, I think it started with my son available in the fallback girl and then I put it on the blog as well. But if you Google future faking now, I think it gets them for like 50,000 search terms. I could enter the sort of the relationship lexicon um, as such. But I found it really, really important to name a lot of the weird stuff that was out there because relationship books don't talk about this stuff. They don't talk about future faking and fast forwarding and people chopping at you. They don't talk about the blowing hot and cold. And I, I think that there's great power in naming these things and describing these things because then so many people, part of why they reach out is going, oh my God, I feel like you were outside my window (laughs) and you were like watching me or you've been listening to my conversations. Like, how do you know this stuff? How is it possible for you to know this stuff? But before, you know, before the internet, there were, you know, there were gatekeepers. So they limited the amount of information that was out there. Whereas actually I was able to put a lot out there. And what I want people to do, regardless of whether they do or they don't buy my book, is that have that access to that help out there. Because I I started this with that sense of if I could help one person avoid what I've been through, or I could help them to get out 
of a situation, then I felt like I was paying my knowledge forward in some way. And of course, I've helped many more than, you know, a couple of people, you know, in the process of doing that. But this experience of being in unfulfilling, you know, imbalanced, you know, unavailable relationships is so widespread. It is unreal. And there's a lot of people like us out there. Right. Right. And that's how I feel because, I mean, it was a little crazy. I'm a professional photographer and I was compelled, compelled to Mm -hmm. do this podcast and to help people because I didn't want people to suffer like I did. I really, Mm -hmm. I really didn't. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. The future faking term, I think, like, please patent it. It is. (laughs) (laughs) I love the future faker. It takes on so many different, so many different Forms. I can see it so clearly in other people's relationships, but I couldn't see it in mine. Now, there's two types of future fakers. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So it's easy when we talk about future faking, which is when somebody fakes a future to get what they want in the present. And they might intimate certain things or outright promise certain things. The, the, some of that might also come through in behavior. But This person is referencing how, you know, we're going to have babies together. We're going to go to that wedding in Corsica in six months' time. I can't wait to introduce you to my parents. I can't wait to do this and that. You know, a lot, a lot of future talk. And then crickets. Mm -hmm. Nowhere to be seen. Or they're still there, but acting like you're making up this whole thing about them ever having intimated or outright said any of this stuff. Now, some future fakers how should we put it? They're they're loose with words, loose with their feelings. So they just throw them around. They're very sort of in the moment. And that doesn't mean that their behavior is any less problematic, but they're, they're, they're not really, they don't really seem to be aware of what they're doing. Because of course, when you're unavailable, you have to lie to yourself. And so if you want to sort of carry on as if, oh, well, you know, I just keep dating people and then I think there's a future and then I just I don't know, just I don't know where I changed my mind. Of course you can convince yourself of that. So some people are very careless with their words, careless with their, you know, throwing around their feelings without really weighing those and considering the impact. Some future fakers, however, they're intentional. Like it is deliberate. They, most of them would deny it down to the ground if you said that to them, but it is, it's deliberate. They've been around this rodeo many their time. They have gone through the same, you know, parade, you know, showing the, the latest partner around, the friends, whatever. The friends sometimes even make references to it. Oh, you're the latest, whatever. Mm. And this is like, it's intentional. And f- from their point of view, they will often rationalize themselves. We're both adults. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that's one that they love to cling to. We're both adults here. You know, we both got to look out for ourselves, but also they're rationalized. They had a good time, didn't they? So in their mind, it's not that bad what they were doing because they were having, you know, they were giving the person a good time. Some as well will actually have the absolute cheek to say, well, obviously I couldn't possibly have meant it when I said those things because we'd only known each other for a day or a week or whatever. So they feel like, Oh, rather than own up to the fact that it's really shady to do that, it's now the other person's fault for believing it. Like, obviously, if I say that to them after a week, Mm. 
or after a few days. And obviously I don't mean it. Obviously I must be lying. Why would they believe me? How gullible are they? Right. Like I never now, asked you. Regardless of whether. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah. Line. I hate yeah. that. Exactly. And then the thing is, is regardless of whether it's intentional or not. And I, and this is really important because us fallback girls, we love to hang ourselves on the whole intentions thing. Did they intend to do it? But did they mean to do it, right? Uh, it's not about intentions. It's about impact. So the thing is, is that when a Mr. Unavailable keeps finding themselves in situations where they amp up the future and then they bail out of it, they have a responsibility to actually start to be more conscientious about what comes out of their mouth. And the way that they behave, they need to slow down. They don't get to go, oh, well, we're both grown-ups here. So regardless of whether they have a slip and fall and find themselves yet again in the situation or whether they do it intentionally, it's still very, very problematic. Right. They're still starring in their one-act play. And yeah. they love the drama and they love the stories. They entertain themselves. You talk about the storyline, like, it's always a cat up a tree. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> a cat up a tree and yeah, yeah. And I ain't got no electricity but, but I, I don't have any clean drawers my car broke down the cat's up a tree it's like mate it's always like some story right right the best references that one time at band camp that is the best oh, yeah. analogy it's so true because they're so used to playing on repeat for the next person and it's yeah. just going to be lather rinse repeat again and and but when you get this book and you hear it, you're like, huh, okay, there's a pattern here. I didn't, yeah. even, I, I didn't even know what blowing hot or cold meant and why they, people do this to manage your expectations. Yeah, absolutely. Because the thing is as well, like if you think about it, and I, and I talk about this in the book, like if you're constantly like messing around with the temperature of things, you actually lose sight of what the actual temperature of things is but on top of that because you know like if if you've been like in in the really cold water and then somebody puts the hot on it actually feels hotter than it is and so that's the same thing that happens in these situations somebody pulls back from us then they come at us really intensely so of course it feels like really intense to us but also we can get very fixated on the blowing hot aspects so oh they're blowing hot at the moment. But the thing is, is that for us to have it in our head, oh, this person blows hot, there has to be an awareness somewhere that this person also comes down from that. They start to cool down, sometimes go real cold. And so on some level, we're aware that even if this person is blowing hot, they're going to blow cold. And then if they're blowing cold, that maybe they're going to blow hot or warmer. And so we end up being in the cycle, mm. you know, with, with this person. And it's a, it's a head game because these these people want to be in control Absolutely. of the situation. Absolutely. And it is about, as you said, managing down our expectations. Because if things are getting all hot and that, I've been talking about introducing it to parents, going on a holiday in a few months' time, saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, you know, whatever. And then, of course, things are pretty hot. And then as a part of them, it goes, uh-oh, I've been talking some big stuff here. Mm -hmm. And then... Consciously and unconsciously, they do things to turn the temperature down on things so that this person doesn't have those expectations. And, you know, it is horrendous to be on the receiving end Absolutely of that. Absolutely horrible. I, I don't think that people realize how deeply 
triggering and destabilizing that can be for a person. If you think about somebody who maybe has come from, for instance, a childhood where, and this would be me, you know, growing up in an environment where you're walking on eggshells, where somebody's mood really controls the temperature of your home and you're kind of uncertain of yourself and you're, you know, you're worried about the stepping. Then your next thing you know, you're in a relationship with somebody, even though logically speaking, you know that you're not going out with your mama right now or your father or your grandparents or whoever it is. It feels the same. It feels deeply, deeply unsettling to be around somebody who one minute was nice as pie to you. Next thing, it's like you're talking to a brick wall and you become unsure of yourself. You you start going, did I say something? Did I do so? I don't understand what I did wrong. And for a lot of people, it triggers them into trying to win the person over. So they go towards the person, almost begging for the person's attention and affection, which only fuels this unpleasant cycle of behavior even further. How great would it be to find the love of your life, the man of your dreams? Do you believe online dating would work if you had the right tools to be successful? Well, I have exciting news. I've created your best shot at love masterclass. I cannot wait to share with you what's worked for me in my life and for many of my clients that have helped over the years. If you enroll in this class, you have a winning mindset and believe in getting help before you start something new. If you're ready to see changes in your dating life and want to take action, check out my free webinar at shotatlove.co. If you decide you're going to choose another path, that you're worth it and you're willing to enroll in the masterclass, you can also register at shotatlove.co. Love.co. I designed this masterclass specifically for you to be successful. Please know that everything you're going to learn in these nine modules and six coaching calls has been carefully curated for you so you can gain the success you truly want. I will be there for you the whole time. In the meantime, I wish you all the success and I can't wait to hear about your story of finding love. I'm Carrie Brett and I will be your mentor and friend through this incredible journey. Right, right. And you talk about the competitive nature that if mm-hmm. you pull away, you try harder. Okay, well, yeah. I'm going to make a steak dinner. Okay, I'm going to put myself and t- twist into <laughs> a pretzel. A you know, like, uh, I guess I'm going to go out in a snowstorm and go, you know, find something that's going to make this person happy because it's complete crazy making. It derails your day. It can derail your health, your career. It is abuse at its ultimate. It really is. And, and, and how do you not lose your self-worth when you pursued so hard and then a few hours later it's up in smoke? <laughs> and and yeah. I, I like how you said, what's the difference of a like a booty call and a one-night stand? You're like, nothing. They're just repeating the same con. And I thought, yeah. this is like excellent. Just how you use these descriptions like the flip flapper the overlapper the overlapper is the best that one is <laughs> i mean it it's enraging <laughs> but uh um, yeah. what is an overlapper well overlappers they don't like to have you know clean finishes between relationships so they always start a new relationship before they finish the current one they won't admit to it or they'll have some very, very strange reasoning for how it's all come about. You know, again, it's almost like this slip and fall mentality, like, oh, whoops, 
I started a new relationship before I finished my other one. I just don't know how that happened. I had a slip and fall and next thing you know, here I am. But there is this pattern where there is this sense of, oh, I've realized that I don't want to be in this relationship. Let me scan the horizon and look for new opportunities. And then they start up a new relationship and they overlap it because obviously they want to make sure that they have somewhere to go. And then once they've got their feet well and truly wedged in, they often will not tell the other person about the existence of this other relationship. So they will just drop a breakup out of the blue or they will then orchestrate a whole thing so that the other person becomes frustrated with them and finally finishes it with them. Or they'll just behave really, really badly and then just exit unceremoniously out of things. And then the truth comes out about this other relationship. Mm. And overlapping, I think, really messes again with people's heads. Because if you don't even know that you're being overlapped, you're there thinking that you're in a relationship and that things are okay, or the odds are actually in these situations, you know something's up, even if you're pretending otherwise. Mm. But you have no idea that this person's already, they've exited. Mm -hmm. They're starting something up with somebody else. It is brutal (laughs) to, to make that discovery. Yeah. I mean, I think you know it, but you can't look at it. That's what I felt with me. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't look at it because I wasn't wired to be dishonest. I'm not wired to ever hurt anyone. So I could never grasp this. But I love how you just like, you don't give these fools any attention. You're like, okay, whatever, ass clown. Like the words you use just to be like, no, like it's so good. It's so great because (laughs) by doing that, you're allowing the woman to step into her power to say enough of this, enough of this. And one of the favorite analogies that I have, and I see this so much with people dating online, is the busy bee with the time shortage. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 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 And you know what? I mean, I wrote that book, you know, 10 years ago. And that's even worse now than it was that, you know, the busy bee with a time shortage, you know, the way they're carrying on, you'd swear that they're running the planet, that they're out there solving world peace or poverty, (laughs) you know, trying to clean up poverty or something. Mm. This person ain't trying to do that. Nope. They just don't have time for you. They just don't yeah. have time for you. I mean, they're not busier than a world leader, you know, no. and we all have the same amount of hours in the day, but we make yeah. excuses and we give them this long leash and it's a huge problem. If people can just take away that from this episode, that would make me happy because like you said, you wrote this a decade ago, but it's, it's huge, especially in online yeah. because there's always another option. Yeah, and I think as well that, um, you know, you mentioned earlier about how these relationships can trigger quite a competitive um, aspect of us. And that's partly, you know, when we're speaking about women, women have been socialized to believe that there's like a limited amount of everything and that women are all competing with each other for this tiny little bucket, tiny little bucket of good relationships, good men, good women, good jobs, good looks, good everything. And so as a result... Um, there is that competing element like, oh, my God, if I call a spade a spade here, this person is going to go off and somebody else is going to get them. Like they're going to turn into a prince, you know, as soon as my back is turned type of thing. But I also think as well that these situations really push on some buttons around 
not getting attention, not being prioritized, not being acknowledged, treated like basically like we're not a priority. And instead of going, hold on a second here, who the hell does this person think that they are? Instead, we're now trying to prove how good we are, how worthy we are, how deserving, attractive, whatever we are, so that that person will dignify us with a sliver more of their time. And so it speaks to this part of us that, yeah, is a, you know, it's overhang from, from childhood where it's like, why doesn't this person want to give me their time? We start to think, am I, am I not important? Am I not valuable? So it speaks to these old wounds. But this person has chosen not to do that. And what we do is we go, well, they've chosen not to give us our time, even though they're making out like they're busier than a world leader. And they've chosen to do that because I'm not good enough. And if I was a different type of person and more worthy, then they would want to give me their time. So clearly I've done something wrong. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. And the cycle continues on and on. They think this person does have time or this person does want to give it. I just haven't proven myself enough. When in actual fact, this person never had any intentions of actually giving over that time, of truly investing in the relationship because they're unavailable. Exactly. So you could be a supermodel. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because they're unavailable. And they're always going to be unavailable because it works for them. It doesn't work for you. And supermodels go through the same thing because as women will argue to ourselves, if I looked better... This wouldn't be happening. But there's plenty of supermodels, models, people who are considered to be the, you know, the, the standard, the beauty standards that magazines, the media sell to us. I hear from from some of those people. This isn't about looks. This no. isn't about sexiness and how much you can sex the person, whichever else, right? This is about unavailability. And what we're essentially doing is looking at somebody else's emotional strategy, how somebody else handles their emotions, their habits. And um, habits are longstanding, but we're looking at that and we're taking that to another level and going, well, this is about me. And that's because, again, we've been taught as women, and this is where we participate in the patriarchy as well. When we see a guy messing around, on a woman, and this really applies to these heteronormative relationships as such, we decide, well, the woman mustn't be sexing him enough. She mustn't be meeting his needs. She she mustn't be the right kind of woman for him because that's what society has taught us. And it allows us to participate in this patriarchal system where it's like men always have this power and men never basically have to really kind of show up or do something in this patriarchal ideal. But actually... What we're doing there is participating in this sort of collective pain of of women, because then what happens is guy comes along, tells us a sob story. One time in band camp, my wife wouldn't sleep with me. Poor, poor you. I'll show you how much I can do for you. And next thing we're the other woman. Right. And we're, uh, we're the other woman because we're telling ourselves, oh, he's not getting what he needs. Right. Out of her. And actually, no. The affair is happening because the person is unavailable and sees the right to avail themselves 
of another person and is playing people off against each other. And also, to be fair, we come up with a whole thing in our mind. Oh, well, she mustn't be this. She mustn't be that. I'm giving them everything that they need. I'm better than this. I'm better than that. Mm. This is this is where we end up lying to ourselves and facilitating, you know, th- this painful pattern continuing. Right. Right. No. One of the things that was like super eye opening in the book was chancing their arm. <laughs> wow. Like, this is why the book's so great because no one says things like this. There's nothing out there like this, but that's exactly what they're doing. And they chance their arm. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, you know, we can put up with some pretty outrageous stuff in in relationships. And when we look back, we're like, geez, like, how the hell did I do that? And it's funny because I literally spoke to one of my best pals from back home in Ireland yesterday. And we were laughing about like what we were like, you know, in our mm. teens and 20s, you know, with guys. But this whole chance in their arm thing is they come along and they will ask for or do something. And they know on some level, they have no business even coming to try this. Mm. But they're chancing it because there's a distinct possibility mm-hmm. that the person will go along with it. And so they're quids in because if if we go along with it, then they get whatever it is. I mean, chancing, chancing your arm can take the form of, you know, you haven't been in touch with her for weeks, maybe months on end. And then you send a text just before midnight. Hey, long time. How are you doing? You're chancing your arm <laughs> that you're going to catch that person right. in a, 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 maybe a vulnerable moment, bored moment, whatever. Mm. And she responds. Oh, yeah. Hey. There you go. And now taking the bait because it's just for, it's like, what are, you, what are you responding just for midnight for? And then you, res- you send another text. And the conversation is still going. Next thing you know, hey, she's looking around there. We, we grab, grab a drink. It's 2 a.m. This person has been chanting their arm already for two hours and it has paid off. And you know what, right? Even if it doesn't get to the person turning up, the amount of stories I've heard where, again, the person chances their arm and maybe they don't turn up at the place, but next thing they're sexting. Or they're just getting a big old ego stroke right. and pouring out all of their problems right. to the person on the other end chancing their arm oh yeah they're either going to be met with a closed door or they're going to be getting some level of attention from it and from their point of view they're they're quids in they're getting something out of it Mm. if we respond right it's like a child it's like good attention bad attention whatever it's still attention in the tip jar that's there you go always going to be endless and i i saw that with the pandemic with the pandemic was like an opportunity (laughs) for people to you know these recyclers to come out from the woodwork and be like oh wow just wondering if you're okay and that was one of the things that i i said to people like wait a minute i don't care this is just them coming back chancing their arm and this is interesting because once you study the book and you see the patterns then you show up differently and I've heard you say this before like are you different because if you want something different you have to be different because the common denominator is you and there's a piece of you that is unavailable and that's really hard but you once you get there then you're like okay now I can date or live with a genuinely decent, available man. How great is that? But once you get there, that's when they come back like a bad, mm-hmm. proverbial penny. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the thing I say to people is if you're serious about being in a serious relationship, accept no substitutes. And what that means is we can talk to the cows, come home, but, oh, I'm ready for a relationship. I'm tired of being Mr. Unavailable. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. Well, life's going to come along and give you a pop quiz give you an exam that tests out what you say you want and tests out what you say you've learned. And so it absolutely, you're absolutely right. It is that element of, well, what is it about you that's different? It's not enough to be like, oh, I've realized that there's unavailable guys out there. Well, I'll just keep throwing around my people pleasing and see how it all shakes out. It's like, actually, where am I going to be different? Because something that the book also highlights is, yes, there's the unavailability, but look at how our own unavailability fits around this. Because the thing I say to people is there's no such thing as a one-sided, ambiguous relationship. If they're being ambiguous, that means you're being ambiguous too. Mm-hmm. Because if you were being clear, they couldn't continue to be ambiguous or you'd have got the hell out of there. Right. right? If they're blowing hot and cold, where are you blowing hot and cold on yourself and being inconsistent about what it is that you say that you need, desire, and deserve? Mm-hmm. But if actions are not matching words, where are you not reflecting who you are in your actions and thinking and choices? Like, where are you not matching your actions and words? Right. This is where we get to reveal our own unavailability because water seeks its own level. And so if we are involved with somebody who is unavailable and we're saying we want to be in a relationship, it's time for us to have an honest conversation with ourselves and say, well, hold on a second. If that's the case... Why am I in this situation? Why waste months, years with these guys? Nip it in the bum. Bum. Nip it in the bud. So one of my, I say, favorite stories of all time is that I uh, heard from a woman years ago who was an avid reader of the blog, you know, books, who I think had been engaged it was something like four or five times, four or five different people. And she had broken off each of those engagements each time. Yep. Mr. Unavailable came back into town and claimed that he loved it. She ditched each of these fiancés. And of course, the moment he was able to prove that she'd still wanted him, he just got out of there. Imagine breaking off five engagements. Oh, man. Five and, she, and she's read your book? Yeah, yeah. But some people read and some people read. Mm. And oh, they take you it know, to the level I, I did. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember receiving an email from somebody, and it's always kind of funny when I receive these, and this has gone back a good few years now. And they said that they had read, I think, Mr. Unavailable and the Fallback Girl and the No Contact Rule, and they just felt offended by me when they read it. What the hell is she talking about? And this woman is detailing all of this. Like, what the hell is she talking about? She doesn't know, blah, 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 blah. And now it was, I don't know, something like a year, 18 months down the road, and she was writing to let me know this is what she had thought of me and that she was coming back to say everything you said came true. And it's not because I'm sitting around trying to be right mm-hmm. uh you know when it, what do they say when the student is ready the teacher will appear right, like right. i was stuck in my own patterns for a long time and then when you're ready to, to see it when you're ready to hear it you can't unsee it mm-hmm. but we're humans and i think that 
sometimes there's a little part of us that goes, oh, but they've just come back and they're saying all of the right things. Like, what if this is my happy ending? Because that's, Mm. I I would say that that is a lot of people's argument where they actually do believe, for instance, what I'm saying or what somebody else is saying. Mm. However, the person comes back and they're saying all the right things. You know, they seem so believable and they don't want to be that person who's basically walking away from that because like, what if this is my happy ending? What if my prince, my princess has turned up and they're ready to be with me and now I'm here going, oh no, no, I don't want to mess with you. And then of course that person is gone all over again. And you know, you mentioned a pandemic, like, oh my gosh, I'd say the first three, four months of the pandemic in particular, so, so many stories Oh yeah, of bad pennies, returning childhood sweethearts, Mm. you know, all coming back mm-hmm. suddenly. Oh, hey, how are you? And people believing in it mm-hmm. because they were vulnerable, caught out, lonely. Like, yes. where the hell am I going to go? So then it's easy to be sexting and chatting and carrying on because, well, <laughs> lockdown, <laughs> you got nowhere to go. Right. And then person, person's gone. And they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. And I'm going, mate, come on now. Be honest with right. yourself. Right. Because the truth is, right, we're often willing to participate in these situations because of what we're hoping to get back. And so when we're sort of very investing in the fantasy and everything's feeling all good, we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe this is going to happen, blah, 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 blah. But we know, deep down, we know we've got into this because we're feeling lonely, we're feeling horny, we're feeling bored, whatever it might be. We know this, but we pretend that we don't know it. It's only when it becomes clear that this definitely is not going somewhere and that we're not going to get what we want that we go, oh, my God, I've been used, right? That doesn't mean that we haven't been used, but we also have to be honest and admit that we were willing to allow ourselves to be used when we thought it was going to turn out the way we wanted it to. Right. I have a question for you. Now, a lot of times I'll tell people, like, shut it down, no contact, this is what you have to do, and they're like, hmm. Like you said, like they <laughs> they can't get there. Like they read it, but they haven't really read it. Do you think there's an order? Because I know for me, I had to figure out the person, like the Mr. Unavailable character. And then once mm-hmm. I could see that so clearly, I was like, okay, now I can graduate to the no contact rule. Mm-hmm. And then the dreamer and the fantasy relationship is amazing for when you're dating. Do you think there's an, a, an order that people should read the books? It's kind of one of those sort of it depends ones. Because personally, I feel like if you have a pattern of being involved, you know, in unavailable relationships, then your best starting point is Mr. Unavailable and the fallback girl. Because I think that if you don't understand what you've been doing, then no contact, even though in theory, you know that it's absolutely the right thing to do, you're going to be like, but what if, but what if, but what if? And the moment that they come back and start saying all of the right things, you're going to get yourself sucked back in again. And so if if typically your relationships have been relatively healthy, but in this particular instance, not only has it proved to be quite tricky, but the breakup has proved to be quite tricky, you can probably just be on the no contact rule. And then maybe then if you're kind of really struggling to understand why this person has been difficult, you go back to that. But if, for instance, you're somebody who has not only, you know, struggle with unavailable relationships, but you tend to get caught out by your own busy little mind, you know, in terms of 
you know, expectations and sort of making up a story in your head and getting wedded to the idea of this person over text or DMs or whatever it is, then I would also say, do you know what? I mean, some people you can cut from Mr. Unavailable and a fallback girl and go straight to the dreamer and the fantasy relationship, if that is your case. And I think that, you know, no contact is something I think that people struggle with because one, depending at the point when they are contemplating this, they've kind of got into a real habit of being in whatever breakup drama or even relationship drama that they are with the person. I think the other thing is as well that um, people really struggle to make themselves the so-called big bad wolf Mm -hmm. by saying, do you know what? I don't want to engage anymore. You know, we're in a time, you know, back in a day when you broke, you're broke. Yeah. So unless if you wanted to, to see or hear from somebody, you had to pick up the phone, you had to write a letter or you had to be a nuisance and turn up at their house or turn up at work. Now you can just open up your phone and get on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok. There's so many different ways. You can look at WhatsApp and see what time they were last online. And that's a big thing with people. Yeah. And this kind of information that we have access to I'm not knocking technology or social media, but it is not great for breakups where you have that potential to be obsessing and then spending a whole load of your day, you know, tracking what this person is doing online. You know, some people I speak to, they know exactly how many status updates they've done or how many tweets they've sent or which photos have been taken up or down or how many likes. Do we need to know (laughs) this kind of stuff about people? So I think that... There, we can be stuck in a pattern um, with no contact where, you know, we, we have this habit. And so we think that because we have been obsessing and thinking about the person for, I don't know, six months or something, maybe even longer, that we think because we've decided that we now want to be done with this relationship, we're tired of being in unavailable relationships, we think, poof, those thoughts and feelings are going to disappear. But we've just spent however long obsessing about this person. So, of course, those thoughts and feelings are going to come back. We've trained them to turn up when we're in the shower or at work or driving in the car or whatever it is. Mm. And so when these these thoughts and feelings turn up, we go, oh, well, it must mean I shouldn't be doing no contact. (laughs) We will say this is a sign Mm -hmm. that I'm supposed to basically get back in touch. I must still be crazy about them. And I say to people, no, you're not still crazy about them. It's just habits. You've literally trained your brain to mm-hmm. think about this person and feel about this person in certain contexts. And I ask people to track this stuff. And it, what's, it's amazing. Like some people say, wow, I literally uh, get the urge to break no contact when somebody gets on my nerves at work. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Distraction yeah. from uncomfortable feelings. But, you know, that's where I think people don't realize that, that you have the power to shut that door that it is in your power to say no more. Like, I'm not going to do it. But you talk about these patterns and you describe yourself as a recovering people pleaser. And you say that no one was born this way. God, no. This is, we're we're socialized and conditioned into people pleasing. And that's both men and women that can happen to, but women especially. Because women were told, be meek, be mild, be sweet, be kind, don't make waves, you know, don't be loud, make sure you're girly, make sure you're a real woman, a good girl, a good this, a good that. Don't be slutty, 
you know, go over there and hug that relative that we told you to hug, even though, you know, feel really uncomfortable with it. We're told all of these things about what it is to be a woman. So we're socialized into people pleasing, suppressing and repressing our needs, desires, expectations, feelings, and opinions so that we can put everybody else's ahead of ours in the hopes that we will get approval, affection, attention, love, and validation, or to avoid conflict and criticism and rejection and disappointment and abandonment. Right. So these dynamics of unavailable relationships, you know, being a fallback with, you know, for instance, a Mr. Unavailable or a Miss Unavailable, that is people-pleasing 101. Right. We are trying to people-please this person into becoming emotionally available. We are trying to people-please this person into committing to us. We're trying to people-please this person into, even if they, I don't know, are not necessarily the most emotionally available of people, oh, but at least just treat me a little bit better. Stop hurting me. It's all forms of people-pleasing. And none of us are born that way. It's all the messages that we have picked up along the way, things that we've taught ourselves as well. Right, right. Well, this leads to my last question, and, and this is, it really plays into it nicely, I think, because now with online dating, we are almost trained to keep things casual. Like, oh, like you said, like, don't rock the boat or don't say what you actually want or just be super appeasing and go with the flow and, and enjoy the dance and all that stuff, which is torture. It can be torture. There's a driver and there's a passenger. And yeah. so what, and it totally hurts us and it, and it hurts us when we're dating. So what advice would you give someone around keeping it casual? So the, the something I've talked about on, on my podcast is about that we need to have a recruiter mindset when it comes to uh, dating, uh, particularly, I think, with online dating, but just dating full stop. And what I mean by a recruiter mindset is that we have to be clear on what our intentions are with dating and what it is that we are looking for, because otherwise we're just going to swing with the wind of whatever anybody else turns around and says to us. And it's very easy for us to get sucked into the people pleasing. So I call it the recruiter mindset, because when you think of a recruiter who's recruiting somebody for a job, they're not going to try to take every single person who, for instance, I don't know, sent in an application or did the first telephone interview. You're not going to try and take every single one of those people through to the final round because they're not really doing the job. So the whole idea is that as you're moving along, you're supposed to be filtering people out. Now, when you are dating, you have to practice discernment, as in use the information that you have previously gathered through your experiences to choose better, to start using, you know, your, what I was about to say, like your radar, you know, that sort of that sense of, oh, I know based on my experience, I don't like it when somebody does blah, 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 blah. And then when somebody does that next time, don't try to rationalize yourself into why it might be different this time. Just call a spade a spade and flush it out. Mm -hmm. And I say this to people because far too often what I see is that uh, people will say to me, I am dating because I am looking for a relationship. And I say, well, if that's the case, why is it that you are currently dating somebody who, whether it's because they verbally said it to you or they've shown it in their behavior, 
they are clearly very casual about it. And something I was actually talking about with a friend of mine who is in she's the same age, so it's like 44, she's in San Francisco, she said dating out there, you know, online dating. A lot of people are now putting um, that they are being ethically non-monogamous. I mean, what in the <laughs> name? And I was like, what does that even mean? I think like, we just come up with a term in a label for anything these days. And I was saying to her, like, you have to be clear in yourself about what it is that you are looking for so that when it becomes clear that somebody is behaving or speaking in a way that shows that you're not on the same page, you have to be prepared to walk. Yeah. And this is so this is so important because I talk about relationships in stages, you know, about there being five stages. And mm-hmm. stage zero is the online dating bit where you're only talking, you haven't met yet. Or if you have met in real life, you haven't been on the first date yet. At stage zero, you ain't got no skin in the game. If the person is showing that they are creepy or that they're not interested in whatever it is that you're interested in, let it go. You don't have to be like attached to this point, but a lot of people are, and they keep trying to push it on. So next thing you know, you're up at stage one, which is the dating stage. And I say to people, at this stage, you're dating, the idea of dating is to have fun. Obviously people date for various different reasons, but if you're dating with the intention of hoping to be in a relationship, then you're gonna need to gain some superficial knowledge at this stage of whether that's something that you could potentially do with this person. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of people do at this stage is they still keep tolerating stuff that is only going to lead to more problems further down the line. And whatever you tolerate at the early stage is going to come back to bite further down the line. So you have to be absolutely clear with yourself. And a lot of people are afraid of that. They're like, yeah, but what if I scare people away? What if there's nobody left to date? Scarcity. You know, this, this, this mindset. And this is how we trick ourselves into accepting less than what we really need, desire and deserve. Right. And crumbs are just crumbs. They're not a loaf. <laughs> yeah. And, and and it's funny because I was giving a talk last week and somebody literally asked me about that. You know, how do you like, you know, it's, it's very hard, like not, you know, to walk away from the crumbs, you know, because something is better than nothing. And I'm like, think about what crumbs are. Mm-hmm. Are crumbs actually something or is it like dust? Right. <laughs> it's, it's food dust. I love I love I mean, that in your book when you're like, have you ever seen anyone settle? <laughs> it's like not a good look. <laughs> but and and it and it really isn't. You know, it's like we 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 put these crumbs in the oven and we wanted to come like like a loaf and said like, no, they're just going to come out like crumbs. Possibly have even turned into like finer finer pieces of dust. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, thank you, Natalie, for this episode and teaching all of us to let go of people pleasing and giving us the gift of Mr. Unavailable and how we can easily step into our power and become who we're supposed to be. So before I ask, you know, where people can find you, I wanted to end with one of your famous quotes. When we treat and regard ourselves with love, care, trust, and respect, we won't accept less from someone else than we can already be and do for ourselves. Amen, Natalie. You are Amen, amen. You are the best. <laughs> so, <laughs> so where can people find out more about you on social media, your blog, or your podcast? 
So the blog and the podcast are at baggagereclaim.co.uk. The podcast is on all podcast players. It's called The Baggage Reclaim Sessions. And so you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Player, Alexa, you name it, it's there. In terms of social media, you can find me really the best place is Instagram, and that's at Nat Lou. That's N-A-T-L-U-E. And so sometimes you'll see me there doing a bit of my 90s raving. <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I hope someday our paths will cross. Absolutely. And we can... Uh gather more fallback girls, former fallback girls, and celebrate how far we've come. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Carrie. Do you know, I really appreciate getting to talk to somebody like you because you're exactly who I wrote the book for. Oh. And I'm so glad that you were able to take that and change your life in the way that you have. you remind me of exactly why I set out to do what I do. So thank you for for gifting me with this. Oh, thank you so much. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Oh. And for now, this week's Shot at Love tips. In honor of our guest and my idol, Natalie Liu, these tips come directly from her. Number one, we must stop caring too much for those who care too little for us. If I can't care about me and care about you at the same time, you've got to go. Number two, you are always better than being an emotional airbag. Number three, some people are in your life because their assholery will finally get you to create boundaries. Number four, some people just aren't ready for you or what a relationship entails. No amount of pleasing, twisting, PowerPoint presentations, morphing, blending, discussing to the nth degree, begging, pleading, cajoling, negotiating, and even guilting will work. Number five, when you treat yourself with love, care, trust, and respect, you'll have no incentive to stick around for someone who doesn't. I hope you found some of my tips helpful this week. This is what Shot at Love is here for, to help you find love. Keep up the commitment to yourself and commit to helping someone else by sharing this podcast. Remember to stay safe and stay tuned for more episodes. And if you like this show, please leave a five-star review. I'm Carrie Brett, and we'll see you next time.